0: welcome you all this morning. It's our fourth Sunday of Advent. We are so close to Christmas. If you're joining us online, we're so glad that you are worshiping with us today. I want to invite you guys to stand as we begin our worship, as we begin to sing songs to our King, to our Prince of Peace. Today we're going to talk about Jesus as Prince of Peace. He brings us this amazing, indescribable peace through the coming of Of the Son. And so as we prepare our hearts, hear these words from the prophet Isaiah. It says, For to us a child is born, to us a son is given, and the government will be on his shoulders. And he will be called Wonderful Counselor, Mighty God, Everlasting Father, Prince of Peace. Of the greatness of his government and the peace, there will be no end. So let's sing together to this Prince of Peace.
1: church let's lift our voices together for unto us a child is born a son is given a son is given for unto us a child is born a son is given a son is given the Messiah oh to see him see him high the Son is given, for to us a child is born, the Son is given, the Son is given, the Messiah, oh to see today sing it out oh.
2: Chapter 5, verses 2 through 5a. But you, Bethlehem Ephrathah, though you are small among the clans of Judah, out of you will come for me one who will be ruler over Israel, whose origins are from of old, from ancient times. Therefore, Israel will be abandoned until the time when she who is in labor bears a son, and the rest of his brothers return to join the Israelites. He will stand and shepherd his flock in the strength of the Lord, in the majesty of the name of the Lord his God and they will live securely, for then his greatness will reach to the ends of the earth and he will be our peace. This world is a hectic place, this year even more so. A pandemic, cultural and social upheaval, anger and division are pervasive throughout society. Within our daily lives, we busy ourselves with plans, work and family, causing stress, fatigue and anxiety. We long for peace. We are made to be in harmony with God and with one another, Sin took that away, but God did not abandon us. As we move closer to the advent of Christ at Christmas, we're reminded that the promise of perfect peace has been fulfilled in Jesus, a true and deep inner peace and conviction that regardless of the external circumstances, all is well with us. The Prince of Peace with one who God is greatly pleased makes true and lasting peace with God and with each other possible. For he himself is our peace, who has made us both one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility, making peace that he might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross. Ephesians chapter two, verses 14 through 16. We light the fourth advent candle to remind us of Jesus' words. Peace I leave with you, my peace I give to you. Not as the world gives do I give. Let not your hearts be troubled, neither let them be afraid. John chapter 14, verse 27.
0: To be our peace, came to be our king. This is our story. In the darkness, we were waiting without
1: hope, without light. So from heaven you came running. There was mercy in your eyes to fulfill. was moved for good for the land that conquered death.
0: that this is true that this is true for us God that you became man you left your throne and you became nothing so that you might save your children it's amazing Lord we thank you that we stand in that truth every day That because of Jesus it's because of Jesus that we can live It's because of Jesus that we can be free. Lord, we praise your name for you are the king of kings. You are triumphant. You are victorious, Lord. And we get to share that victory with you. We thank you, Jesus. Lord, would you bring peace through the truth of the gospel to our lives today. May we find hope and joy in the Christmas story today. Lord, we love you because you first loved us. And we thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, church. You may be seated.
3: Good morning, it's so great to see you here today. My name is Michael and I serve with our creative team. Christmas Eve is this week. Whether you're joining on campus or planning to join online, you can reserve your seat and get the details at wheatonbible.org Christmas. Some of our services have already reached capacity on campus, but all of our service times will be live streamed and we'd love to join you there. If you want to be involved in the candlelight portion from home, you can use your own candle or stop by our West Chicago campus between 9 and 5, Monday and Tuesday, to pick up candles. See you there. I'm Jim Goetz, and for the past few months, I've been serving with our Senior Pastor Search Committee. Thank you for your ongoing prayer in support of our journey. The Search Committee and the elders are encouraged by God's leading in this important transition for our church, and trust that we'll be able to make a recommendation to the congregation in late January. This would be followed by an opportunity for interactions and a congregational meeting in February. Please continue to pray for the Holy Spirit to guide our hearts individually and collectively as we seek God's wisdom, God's peace, and God's unity in our church. This year, COVID has impacted all of us. One man, Freddy, was looking to get connected with our Iglesia del Pueblo campus right when things
1: shut
4: down. Take a listen to his story. Hi, my name is Freddy Sanchez. This is my wife, Natalia.
5: Hi. We have been married for approximately 11 years, but we had marital problems and we separated. I was living in another state. Then I found out that my husband was sick with COVID. And since we were far from each other, I was really worried, really frustrated because of the distance, knowing that he was alone, that I couldn't do much, and that it was a contagious disease.
4: When I got sick and ended up in the hospital, I said, oh my God, who is going to help me? I am all alone, my wife and my children are not with me, I don't have my parents with me, no one to turn to. I had only been to this church once, and that was enough for people who I had never seen before who don't even speak my language. I received spiritual help and financial aid. When I left the hospital, the bills were waiting for me, but there was help. They kept me in their prayers. Many people from here in the church would call me asking, how are you? How do you feel? They didn't even know me. That's what impacted me the most. I am very emphatic about that because we usually may say, I care about people that I know, but caring for someone that I don't know, it was a concern that I felt as if I was a part of their family.
5: I also give glory to God because as a result of that disease, although for many people it has been a tragedy, for us it has been a blessing. Because through that test we had to experience, God brought us closer as a family, as a home and closer to Him. Because through that disease, we have been able to return to the feet of Christ. We are a living testimony that those contributions that perhaps we don't know who gave them, had helped us a lot. Pantry is full, there is no shortage of bread in our house. We can be at peace, rest our minds regarding some needs, because we know that God is supplying them through people who give.
4: That is great. To feel like you are in a place where they embrace you, where you feel the love of God and see the Word come alive through actions. I wish many people could experience how beautiful it is to belong to Iglesia del Pueblo. If you don't have a family, here is one that will embrace you and will be with you through thick and thin and will support you at all times.
3: So how cool is that story? <clears throat> Amen. It's a story of redemption. It's a story of broken, uh, a broken marriage being healed. It's a story of tangible, specific needs being met. And it's the story that illustrates why we exist as a church what our bottom line is what our ultimate ministry target is and i want to thank you for the way you have served the way you have given the way you have volunteered uh, during this pandemic Uh, god has so richly blessed us as a church i frankly am amazed at all the ministries that are taking place, and you were right at the heart of it uh, because you are often leading the charge. Wheaton Bible Church, as I often say, is not a country club, it's a hospital. And what we offer is the medicine of the life-changing gospel of Jesus Christ that saves souls, that heals families, that blesses children, And because Jesus calls us also to be salt and light, we have given ourselves to meet tangible needs. You've seen the videos over these last weeks. We're going to show you a marvelous video that sort of summarizes this year and the ministries that have taken place on Christmas Eve. And this morning I want to say, as we move through this last month of the year, Thank you, church, for standing up. Thank you, church, for laying down your life, denying yourselves, which is essential. It's at the heart of discipleship, for praying and forgiving. And I want to invite you to bring a Christmas gift to Jesus. I want to invite you to continue to give, that we might fulfill all our financial ministry targets, and we might continue to be the church of Jesus Christ in this chaotic, uh, difficult pandemic and culture. Amen? And so I want to welcome you uh, that are watching online. So many of you are watching online. Those of you that are face-to-face, uh, face, I want to encourage you. I want you to know that last Sunday was our largest attendance in person during this entire COVID period. We look forward to you joining us for Christmas Eve. Amen. Yeah, thank you. And today we're gonna talk about peace, uh, the Prince of Peace. But let me begin this way. A while ago I had a conversation with one of our daughters, Kyle, who had a couple years earlier almost lost her life in childbirth. Kyle started to bleed in labor. And the medical team attending her couldn't stop the bleeding. So Kyle lost 120% of her blood and came as close to death as medically possible. But as God would have it, the baby was fine, and eventually Kyle uh, would be fine. She just can never have any children of her own. So Kyle and her husband threw themselves into foster care in Los Angeles County opening their home to some of the most vulnerable babies and and young children, taking them in, sometimes for years, sometimes for longer, all with a view to adoption. But with child after child and situation after situation, adoption uh, never materialized. And so Kyle and Eric have taken care of, what, 10 to 12 children, and they're still waiting upon God to open the door to adopt. And so that day I was having that conversation with uh, Kyle, uh, the pain and the frustration of the inability to adopt, uh, uh, the difficulties inherent in foster care kind of flowed out, poured out. And Kyle, in a very emotional moment, said to me, Dad, you know what I hate? I hate driving my minivan. Because my minivan reminds me of what I so desperately want to miss. You see, every time I'm in my minivan and I'm uh, seeing others drive their minivan in Long Beach, uh, their minivan is full of kids, but I just have one. And I want desperately to adopt more. And God hasn't opened that door yet. And boy, does it hurt. And I wonder this morning, this fourth Advent, as we get so close to Christmas, what is your minivan? What is it that reminds you that your life isn't what you want it it to be? Is it seeing people that are dating or seeing a happily married couple or or, or seeing almost perfect kids or people with no financial hassles or or no health problems who seem to just be coasting, floating uh, uh, through life? The minivan is not the pain. It's a reminder of the pain. And so as we come to Christmas, Christmas intensifies pain. And it's our fears and our our frustrations, our limits and our our losses that we all experience in this uh, broken, fallen, sinful world that well up inside us. Now today is the fourth Sunday of Advent. And the subject is peace. Because it's the bold, I mean radical teaching of Christianity that the God of peace sent his son of peace on Christmas to take on human flesh. The God of peace sending the son of peace to take on human flesh that one day he might die for peace so that the moment we believe in Jesus and embrace him as our Lord and Savior, we experience the peace of God peace with God that overflows from God's eternal fountain of peace. And this is exactly what the angels announced on Christmas about Jesus who was born. So I want to look at this passage from Luke chapter 2. It's not the passage we're going to focus on this morning. It's not the passage I'm going to uh, parse, but it is the passage that sets up where we're going. So Luke chapter 2, beginning in verse 11. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is the Messiah, the Lord. We have three titles for Jesus, a Prince of Peace here. Savior, Messiah, and Lord. Verse 13, suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel. And as I said last Sunday, wouldn't you have loved to have been there? Praising God and saying, Glory to God in the highest heaven and on earth. Here it is peace to those on whom his favor rests. That is to all whom God gives faith, God saves. And so the angels are telling us that Jesus Christ is the divine solution born at Christmas for our lack of peace. And today I want to develop that and I want to uh, look at that in one of my favorite passages in the New Testament on the subject of peace. So we're going to turn to Philippians chapter 4. And we're going to pick it up in verse 4. And out of respect for God's word, would you stand with me? Paul is writing under inspiration. That is, the Holy Spirit is guiding every word that Paul writes. And Paul says, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Finally, brothers and sisters, whatever is true, whatever is noble, whatever is right, whatever is pure, what is lovely, whatever is admirable, if anything is excellent or praiseworthy, think about such things. Whatever you have learned or received or heard from me or seen in me, put it into practice and the God of peace will be with you. Now here Paul shifts and he begins to talk autobiographically, talking about his perk particular situation and he says I rejoice greatly in the Lord that at last you renewed your concern for me he's talking about financial commitments about giving to Paul's ministry providing support for Paul indeed you were concerned but you had no opportunity to show it I am not saying this because I am in need for I've learned to be content whatever the circumstances now contentment and peace are synonymous here for Paul I know what it is to be in need, and I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or want. I can do all this through him who gives me strength. You may be seated. So what I want to do is I'm going to look at the nature of peace, I want to look at the requirements of peace and then conclude with the secret to peace. So what is peace? There are two types of peace in the Bible. There is peace with God. Uh, That is an external, objective, legal state that God in his grace grants to the believer in Christ Uh, who repents of his or her sin and believes that God's holy wrath against their sin has been appeased or satisfied or poured out on Jesus Christ, crucified. So peace with God is a gift God gives us the moment we believe in Christ. He takes our sin, transfers it to Jesus, and gives us the righteousness of Jesus Christ. And this peace with God for the believer in Christ is permanent, it's unbreakable. You can never lose it, it can never be taken away. It's eternal. Now, the peace of God is different it's internal, it's subjective. It's experiential. And it's uh, the privilege of the, the believer in Christ who enjoys the wonder of the forgiveness of Christ, the love of Christ, the, the mercy of Christ. Now, this peace of God for the believer in Christ comes and goes depending upon the extent to which we are trusting Christ in any given moment. Now I say this because both the peace with God and the peace of God are part of what the angels are announcing on Christmas. But Paul here in Philippians chapter 4 is assuming our peace with God and he is focusing on the peace of God this existential, experiential privilege that we enjoy as believers. And we learn two things here about the peace of God in Philippians chapter 4. And here's the first. That peace, this peace of God is an inner sense of well-being in Christ. So look at how verse 7 ends. This will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Paul is talking about our union in Christ that takes place the moment we believe in Christ. As the rest of the New Testament explains, it's Christ in you and you in Christ. Where I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. So it's a sense of well-being, not in general or not vaguely, but specifically result that accrues or results in our confidence in our forgiveness in Christ our contentment in the sovereignty of Christ and our joy in the love and mercy and union we have in Christ and this forgiveness this sovereignty this love of Christ is the root and the peace of God is the fruit and it's why paul says this peace transcends all understanding because of forgiveness sovereignty and love of christ that he offers us uh, the moment we believe transcends all understanding and it's why jesus was born on christmas And it's so great, it's so awesome, it's so out of this world that it transcends our understanding. Let me get a little more practical now. Look at verse 6. Let's just back up. Notice the word anxiety. This peace of God is the opposite of anxiety. Anxiety is the opposite uh, of this peace of God. The Greek behind the English word anxious literally means to be in pieces, to be distracted, to have lost your focus, because your focus is on the uh, winds and waves of your circumstances. And so what that means, if that's what anxiety means, to be in pieces, then the peace of God is single-mindedness. You're not in pieces. You're single-mindedly focused on the wonder, the love, the sovereignty, the reign, the rule of Jesus Christ. It's the difference between Mary and Martha in Luke chapter 10. Jesus comes to these sisters' home. They're preparing a meal. And Martha, we are told, is totally worried, panicked, distracted because of all the preparations. She's in pieces. Mary, on the other hand, is in the living room. And she's sitting at the feet of Jesus as Jesus teaches all those first century people that are crowded into Mary and Martha's living room. And while the Bible never condones laziness, and I'm sure Mary would eventually help, Jesus commends Mary Because, as he says, she's focused on one thing. She's single-minded, and she, in contrast to Martha, is at peace. So anxiety rips you to pieces. Single-minded focus on Jesus Christ is what brings peace. And, you know, in big cities like Chicago, this is absolutely critical. Why? Because we spend a whole lot of money on education and entertainment On cars and houses, a whole lot of money on therapy and relaxation and working out and all these different things, so we can purchase peace. But remarkably, and here we get to the context of the book of Philippians, remarkably, we learn in Philippians that Paul is writing while he's in prison facing the certain possibility of torture and death. And I wonder, if you were in Paul's situation, you're sitting in this uh, prison, would you write about the overflow of contentment and peace that you are experiencing in Jesus Christ? And I say this because I want to make a point, and it's so important in our culture of affluence and comfort, Peace isn't the absence of problems. Paul's life, to a certain extent, was nothing but problems. But peace instead is a single-minded confidence that your days are in God's hands, that the moment you believed in Jesus Christ, God adopted you into his forever family. God is your heavenly Father. And just as a father carries a son who is a toddler or a daughter who is a toddler and scoops him or her up into his arms and kisses and laughs and, and hugs that little child, so God doesn't just love you, he delights in you and he has scooped you up in Jesus Christ into his arms and he will carry you to where he wants you to go. And when you believe that, It produces peace. So peace, first of all, is an inner sense of well-being in Christ. Second, and we're still talking about the nature of peace, is it's being protected by God. You have this sense, this inner sense, not just of well-being, but hey, you know what? God is protecting me, and how do I get that? So look at the word guard here again in verse 7. It's a verb. And the peace of God, man, it's going to guard your hearts and your minds. It's a military term. It's a picture of soldiers surrounding you, surrounding your family uh, to protect you. So the promise in verse 7 is a promise. Do you see that? So the promise here is that the infinite, almighty, all-knowing, all-seeing God is protecting you. And you may not see it, but he's surrounding your house. He's surrounding your car. He's surrounding you at work. He's surrounding your family. Uh, Wherever you go, he is with you. For I've been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I live, but Christ who lives in me. And he's protecting you. I love the way Psalm 46 puts it. God is our refuge and strength and ever-present help in trouble, in trouble. Therefore, we will not fear. Now, we think we have problems. Notice, though the earth give way and the mountains fall into the sea. We will not fear. You will not fear when your mountain falls into the sea. Why? Because the Lord Almighty is with us and the God of Jacob is our fortress, another military term. So if Philippians chapter 4 is the application. I want to suggest to you, here we get to the doctrine in Psalm 46. And what is the doctrine? That no matter what happens, God is our refuge and our strength and ever-present help in time of trouble. He is our divine fortress. I have no worries. And because peace is the fruit, and faith in the Prince of Peace is the root. To the extent you and I believe that and act on it and functionally live our lives that way, we will experience peace. And it's why Jesus came at Christmas to give you this peace. A couple of examples take Queen Esther in the Old Testament. She risks her life to save her people, the Jews. And she says famously, if I perish, I perish. Now, you can't make a statement like that unless uh, there's some sort of peace in your life, some sort of contentment, some sort of resignation. It's the same thing Job does. Uh, uh, Finding out that all 10 of his children have been uh, killed, what does Job say? Remarkably, he says, The Lord gives, the Lord takes away. Blessed be the name of the Lord. He's saying, God is my refuge. And somehow he's experiencing in his agony and torture, peace. One of my favorite passages in the Old Testament on this is uh, David. Now think about it, David's king. Uh, The whole world is piling on him. He's incredibly busy. His life is incredibly Uh, Hectic, his days are long, his, his nights are short. And David says beautifully in Psalm 131, my heart is not proud. Too many of us as followers of Christ are proud. My heart is not proud. I do not concern myself with great matters or things too wonderful for me. And then David goes on and he says, I have calmed and quieted myself. I am like a child. A weaned child with its mother. And then he adds, like a weaned child, I am content. David was probably the only king in the history of the human race that experienced chronic contentment. Like a weaned child, I am content. Peace. And look at how Paul illustrates this when he says at the end of this verse, I have learned to be content. Whatever, whatever uh, the circumstances. It's the peace of God. It's why Jesus came. It's why Jesus died. He loves you so much. He wants you to enjoy chronic peace. Adversity is inevitable. But misery is a choice. And so is peace. It's a function of fixing your eyes on... The Prince of Peace on Jesus. So let me leave now the nature of peace, this twofold nature, and move on to the requirements of peace. And I want to look at two requirements in our, our passage that are really two skills. So notice the word learned here in verse 11. I want you to understand peace in your life isn't automatic. It's an acquired skill. It's a discipline you attend to. And so you grow your peace. You experience more and more peace as you develop the skill. Paul says, I have learned. It wasn't automatic, but I've learned to be uh, content. And here in our passage, Paul gives us two skills And the first is prayer. But in every situation, by prayer and petition, in every situation, wherever you are, whatever you're doing, continually pray. Now, what is prayer according to the Bible? And I want you to follow me. Prayer is trading hearts with God. You trade hearts with God. Think of it as conversation between lovers. It's not you pressing a vending machine, a divine vending machine, to get what you want. And notice verse 6 is a command. So why should I pray if God isn't answering my prayers and the cancer is getting worse? Been there. Because God commands us to Pray. And actually, this is in a sequence of commands. So let's go back to verse 4. I love this. Rejoice in the Lord always. As a matter of fact, it's so important and and, um, uh, so difficult for us. I'm going to say it again. Rejoice, rejoice, rejoice. Now what Paul is saying is don't let the difficulty of your circumstances uh, uh, distinguish your delight in Jesus Christ, your joy. Hi, how you doing? Oh, okay, under the circumstances. Paul is saying in verse 4, don't live under the circumstances. Transcend them with joy. Uh, Then we have another command. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Uh, Paul here is uh, commanding us to be loving, to be gentle. Uh, One of the ways I like to think about gentleness is gentleness is you treating differences with Generosity. It's key to marriage. It's key to friendship. It's key to a healthy work environment, to a healthy church. And if you're in a step family like I'm in a step family, treating differences with generosity is a matter of life and death. And then in verse 6, we have the third command in this section, and it's the command to pray. And then, then we come to the promise of verse 7, this promise of peace. So do you see the sequence? Three commands and then a promise. So in other words, to the extent you joyfully worship the king of kings, Jesus Christ, the prince of peace to the extent you love other people and, and treat their differences with generosity, to the extent you live a life of prayer, then the Prince of Peace who has been there all along will wrap you up in his arms and you will know it and you will be at peace. Now a question before we go on to the second requirement. Why is it that so often we pray and we don't experience peace? Well, let's go back to verse 6. I'm going back between verses 6 and 7 so much because they're so important in, in this section. And notice the two words with thanksgiving. Paul is not commanding end your prayer, end your prayers with thanksgiving. He is commanding, lace your prayers with thanksgiving. Now this is a little thing that's a big thing. Two little words, big concept. Because the presence or absence of thanksgiving, laced, woven throughout our prayers and our, our prayer life, reveals the extent in which we are focusing on our circumstances and God is just a vending machine, or we're focusing on the wonder and the beauty of, uh, of Jesus Christ. So imagine you were there when Jesus was crucified. You were with the disciples and you were present. And you saw it all unfold. And you know what you'd be thinking? You would be thinking, this is," and you're a believer, this is the worst possible thing that has ever happened. And you would be wrong. It's the best possible thing that ever happened. And that's a picture of how it is with us as followers in Christ what of uh, followers of Christ what we think is the terrible tragic awful horrible situation God is using for his glory for your good to make you like Jesus So with Esther and Job and David and Paul You can say, I'm at peace. Now let's go on. Peace is also a requirement of peace in addition to praying is thinking. Do you see that word, the verb at the end? Think about such things. It literally means you drill down. It means you go below the surface. It means, as I talked about last week with Mary, you ponder you reflect on, you, you press the truth into your life. Now, what is the truth? Well, here we're told we think about whatever is true, noble, right, and on and on. And ultimately, those are descriptors, those adjectives are descriptors of Jesus because everything in the Bible points to Jesus. And Jesus is the one who is ultimately true, noble, and right, right. The one who is lovely, excellent, praiseworthy, and on and on. So this is a call to think deeply, to drill down about the glory of Jesus Christ, the glory of his perfect life, the glory of his suffering and sacrifice, the glory of his resurrection, the glory of his restoration and the coming kingdom. And Paul is saying develop the skill of thinking about your Savior. Now, this is so important for us in our modern secular culture, so indulge me for a moment because our secular culture tells us uh, the way to peace is seclusion, isolation, relaxation, entertainment, and even drugs. Because if God doesn't exist, And that's one of the notions of our popular culture. If God doesn't exist, you cannot cannot think your way to peace. Peace is the process of emptying your mind. And Christianity is totally different. Paul is saying peace is a function of the acquired skill of Filling your mind with the beauty, the loveliness of your precious Savior. So let's say, let me apply this, I'm going to speak personally here. Uh, let's say you're going uh, through a difficult time of sh- change because of COVID. Things haven't worked out for you uh, during this period. Maybe you've experienced the death of an extended family member. Uh, maybe you've lost your job. If you're a high school student, um, everything's been shut down. Same if you're a college student. A- and, man, this has been a difficult time. It's been a time of change. It's It's, it's been tough. Or maybe... Um, you're anticipating some changes in the future in the process of figuring uh, that out. That's just where Rhonda and I right now are. I mean, we're preparing to leave Wheaton Bible Church in in the next year, uh, in the new year. That's a good thing. It's time for younger men to run this wonderful church. But so what it does for Rhonda and myself and for any of us that are undergoing change for good reasons or or for bad reasons, it creates a bunch of unknowns, a bunch of uncertainties. And for us, it's like, well, when is our house going to sell? Or when our house sells, what suburb are we going to move to in Denver where we have a couple daughters? How close do we want to live to them? And then there's a whole job stuff. Uh, And for Rhonda, it's more complicated as a physician. And so when you go through change, when you go through this period of transition, it's sort of like your feet are firmly planted in midair, and you don't want to live there for very long. So because of some research I, I did years ago, I understand that we have a beautiful picture of change and transition in the Old Testament. And it's Israel in the wilderness. They've left Egypt. and They have this vague notion of where they're going. But man, they're in the wilderness and it's brutal. It's filled with difficulty and, and snakes and uncertainty. And Israel repeatedly rebels because nobody wants to live with their feet firmly planted in midair. So as I'm stressed because I want to be in control and I want to anticipate things and I'm filled with anxiety, God interrupted my life and he gave me this verse. It's a description of Israel in the wilderness, but they soon forgot what he had done, what God had done, what Jesus had done, and they did not wait for his plan to unfold. So I began to think about that. I began to drill down on that verse, and all of a sudden I realized, that's it, Rob. What Israel did in the wilderness, you do not want to do. You do not want to forget all that Jesus Christ has done for you in the past, the ways he worked in your life, the prayers he's answered, the wonder and the grace you've experienced. Don't forget that! And don't get so impatient that you can't wait for his future plan to unfold. And I want to tell you, the moment that clicked in my mind, I was flooded with peace. And it's been constant for the last six weeks. And I want that for you. I don't want you to forget when in a time of change or uncertainty all that Jesus has done. I want you to wait for his plan to unfold because who is Jesus? He is lovely. He is excellent. He is praiseworthy. So we think about Jesus and we take our eyes off our, our, our circumstances and as much as I want this for you, God wants it for you so much more. It's why he sent his son who was born at Christmas. And so let's go to the secret of peace now. What is the secret to peace according to Paul? Well, it's submission, surrender, and dependence All different facets of our love for Christ. This is exactly what Paul says in uh, verses 12 and 13. I've learned this secret. I've learned it. It's a process. Whether I'm well-fed or I'm hungry, can you imagine? I can do all things, all things through him who gives me strength. That's an incredible statement of submission, of surrender, of dependence on Jesus Christ. And it brings us back to Christmas. Because if Christmas is anything, it's a story of surrender, submission, and dependence. It's a story of humility, of sacrifice, of suffering, of Jesus' humility, Jesus' sacrifice, Jesus' suffering, all launched on Christmas Day. Because on Christmas Day, Jesus laid aside his glory. He chose a life of poverty, of of difficulty. He suffered every single day of his life as a human, the God-man. And it culminated in his suffering on the cross where he died in your place for your sins. And by the way, if you've never come to Jesus, I want to invite you to come to Jesus now, the Christ of Christmas, who surrendered everything for you. And so when Paul says, I've learned the secret, he is illustrating how Jesus lived. Paul is actually living just precisely as Jesus did. Peace is submission, it's surrender, it's dependence. And the path to peace, your path to peace, is giving up the lie that I am my own. That I am in control of my life. That pain is my problem. That I know what is best for my life. Because peace, please hear me in this, peace is never found in demandingness. It's found in surrender. To the Prince of Peace, who surrendered it all, and infinitely more for you. And may you find peace as you fix your eyes on Jesus. Let's pray. So Father, we are amazed at all you have given us in your Son. For Jesus peace mission Uh, for the wonder, the loveliness, the excellence of who he is and what he has done for us and father we can't get to peace on our own we need you by your spirit to give us that grace That in our anxiety, in our frustration, in our agony, we will be able to say with Job, blessed be the name of the Lord. And we will give thanks. Amen.
1: Amen, church. Can we stand together and respond to the word we've heard this morning? Sing the song of hope to our prince of peace. shine brighter
3: So, Father, we praise you for the wonder of the advent of Jesus Christ, for Emmanuel, God with us, and we ask that you, by your Spirit, would fill us with the grace that we might surrender to you as Jesus surrendered to us. And we pray in his great name and all God's people said, amen. Thank you for joining us today online and here in person. Merry Christmas. And Wheaton Bible Church, you are sent.